0: Was Obama really the hero, they say? Sure, we take him back in a heartbeat today. But he deported more folks than any president known. And he commanded and expanded the reign of the drone. They feed you lies, don't want you to think. They say code terror, we say code pink. They feed you lies, don't want you to think. They say code terror, we say code pink. Code pink for freedom, code pink, for peace, code pink. Till hunger and war have ceased. Go think for women, all genders and girls, together we'll make peace. This now we've got the Cheeto perpetrator in chief, liar, denier, electoral thief. We'll stop him and keep us from the nuclear
1: brink and turn that arm. That was Emma's Revolution. This is Carly Town, campaign manager with the Divest from the War Machine campaign at Code Pink. And you are listening to Code Pink Radio on WBAI Radio 99.5 FM in New York City and WPFW 89.3 Washington, DC. For those of you who are not familiar with us, Code Pink is a women's-led anti-war group that is organizing across the country to put an end to US-funded militarism around the world. We're here to challenge imperialism, capitalism, and war, with the goal of creating a world of justice, peace and equality. That may sound like a big ask, and the truth is that it is. Achieving justice requires each and every one of us to join together in solidarity and demand a better world. And if you're listening to this show, you've already taken the first step. Today's show is dedicated to talking more about how the anti-war movement and peace activists can stand in solidarity with activists who are working to demilitarize, and defund the police. During our show, we'll also explore how it's also incumbent on us to understand how the movement against police brutality must also address US imperialism around the world. Recently, Cornel West was interviewed on Middle East Eye where he addressed this very question. So I wanted to take a moment to listen to Cornel West on the connection between defunding the police and taking on US imperialism around the world. I'm going to play a clip from this interview with Cornel West. Here he is.
2: Can you understand our plight and predicament without understanding the relations of the systems that hold us down? And those systems are not just in the hood, they're not just in the states, they're around the world. What we have to do is to recognize at that funeral, Brother George Floyd. those tears are flowing that they have funerals on the West Bank like that because of U.S. policy U.S. bombs mediated through Israeli defense force. they have funerals like that in Yemen U.S. they got funerals like that in Pakistan in Afghanistan in Mali they got funerals like that all around the world that the United States is very much playing a disproportionate role in facilitating if not playing a direct role it's amazing to see Brother Barack Obama out there acting like he's part of the vanguard and struggling against police power when Black Lives Matter emerged under his administration with his black attorney general, with his black homeland security. see, But he helped militarize those police departments. He helped it generate the levels of poverty when he had bailed out the Wall Street criminals. You see, And we haven't even got the foreign policy yet in terms of dropping bombs on innocent brothers and sisters in, in in different parts of the world, especially in the Middle East and Asia. We haven't even gotten to uh, the killing of innocent Palestinian brothers and sisters with, with, with U.S.-supported uh, Israeli defense forces. It's like asking Palestinian brothers and sisters, let's just talk about the plight and predicament of Palestinians without talking about U.S. imperial policies. You can't do it if you really love Palestinians. I say something about my Jewish brothers and sisters. they catch catching hell in France. They're catching hell in Russia. They're catching hell in various parts. Anti-Jewish sentiment goes hand in hand as well with other systems. If you really want black people to be free, and I do, black people will never be free under a system of predatory capitalism. It will never be, we, we will never be free under a system with empirical tentacles will never be free with Pentagon elites running amok with militaristic policies and killing people in Latin America and Caribbean and so forth. So no, no, no. We got to be honest in terms of what freedom is all about. And we got to be honest in terms of what we are up against.
1: That was Cornell West interviewed on Middle East Eye breaking down the clear connection between our militarized police forces and U.S. imperialism around the world. West's words are so important right now because we're at a historic juncture. Thousands of people have taken to the streets in all 50 states in support of the Black Lives Matter movement. The demand to defund the police, which would have been unimaginable just weeks ago, has gained traction in cities across the country. How has the demand to defund the police gained so much traction in such a short period of time? Of course, it has partially to do with the impressive organizing of activists on the ground in cities like Los Angeles, Minneapolis, D.C. But it also has to do with stark images of militarized police in full riot gear that protesters are being confronted by when they go to peaceful protests. What many people don't know is that the Pentagon has given over $7 billion dollars worth of what they call surplus military equipment to police departments since the inception of the 1033 program in the 1990s. We'll talk more about the existence of the 1033 program and how we now have the opportunity to finally end it with our first guest, Yasmin Tayyib, Senior Policy Counsel at Demand Progress. Of course, answering the question about how people can work to take on the US war machine and militarized police forces in their daily lives is central to the work we do on the Divest from the War Machine campaign at Code Pink, which is why I'm so excited to get a chance to talk to Raksha Muthukumar with the Democratic Socialists of America Tech Working Group in New York City. Raksha and the DSA Tech Working Group have recently come out with a statement about how tech workers can be part of the movement to take on police brutality in our country. I'm very excited to talk to her about the role that workers can play in disrupting our militarized police forces, and how workers can also use that to take on US militarism around the world. So again, this is Carly with Code Pink Radio on WBAI Radio 99.5 FM in New York City, and WPFW 89.3 Washington, DC. So we're now going to be welcoming our first guest, Yasmeen Tayeb, uh, Senior Policy Counsel at Demand Progress. Yasmin, welcome to the program. Great. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thank you. Um, so really, first, before we, we dive into what we're going to talk about today, I was wondering if you could tell us just a little bit more about yourself and Demand Progress and the work that you do there.
3: Sure. Uh, so, Demand Progress was founded in 2010, uh, mainly to fight SOPA. And as, as you know, SOPA was the infamous internet censorship bill. Since then, the organization has expanded to lead on a variety of uh, civil rights, civil, civil liberties, um, anti-war issues. So, I joined Demand Progress uh, in, in March of this year. So I'm fairly new, but I lead the organization's anti-war efforts. Uh, this includes anything related to pushing for uh, diplomacy with Iran, sanctions relief, uh, you know, anything related to, to war powers uh, with respect to doing everything we can to, uh, you know, get get the U.S. Uh, funding out of the um, uh, out of the uh, Yemen's uh, civil war, the, the Saudi-led war there that's been uh, ongoing, uh, mm-hmm. it's the worst humanitarian crisis. Um, that uh, we're trying to do everything we possibly can to to help with that. And also, I've been doing quite a bit of work on uh, demilitarization issues since the the protests at the aftermath of the killing. Of-
1: right. Yeah. Great. Um- And and thank you for for kind of that overview. Obviously, you all do amazing work, which is why we're excited that you're on um, with Code Pink today. Um, And, you know, you mentioned at the end there that you work a lot on um, the demilitarization um, process. And so I wanted to ask um, a little bit more about that, right? Um, Today's program is focusing on the militarization of our police forces and really what we can do to stop it. Um, We wanted to talk um, about a program that probably not a lot of people know about but is really essential to understanding why our police are riding around with, you know, large tanks or they have these military-grade weapons in the streets uh, um, that are being used against citizens. Um, So, I'm wondering if you could give us just an overview of the program that I'm talking about, of course, the 1033 program and, you know, just what it is and how did it come about?
3: Yeah, absolutely. So the, the, the 1033 program, and this is through the the Pentagon. It was established in you know fiscal year 1997 uh, in in the, the National Defense Authorization Act. And as as you and your colleagues know, since the inception of this program, the U.S. military has transferred weapons of war, including rifles and armored vehicles and aircraft, to uh, you know local and state law enforcement and in, in our communities all across the country. Uh, uh, so when we're talking about, you know, the, the 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 expansive or or the amount of equipment, or we're talking about the scale, uh, over seven point four billion dollars in transferred goods and vehicles have been transferred to over eight thousand law enforcement agencies since the inception of this program. So this program, you know, it came into light uh, shortly after. Um, you know, the, the the killing of Michael Brown in Ferguson in, in summer of 2014. And that's when several of us started really working on it, trying to figure out ways where we can curtail the program, um, mm-hmm. you know, at least reform it. And right now, as you know, there are con- continuous efforts to try to shut down the program entirely. So shortly again, after um, the killing of, of George Floyd in Minneapolis, the Man Progress ran a petition to our members, so nearly 50,000 of our members have signed on to this petition so far, calling to completely shut down the 1033 program. And, you know, there, there are efforts right now in, in both chambers to, to reform the program. So, you know the 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 Dem bill in the House. This is the massive policing reform package. It, it includes language on 1033 demilitarizing our police. It specifically includes language. Um, that is from uh, Representative Hank Johnson's bill, which, while it does not shut down the program, it does severely limit the amount of transfers of when we're talking about military equipment and weapons of war into our communities. So this is, you know, a bill that traditionally many of our organizations have endorsed and, and supported and have tried to get it passed through Congress. Right now, uh, however, as, as you likely saw, you know, our communities and, and and advocates, national civil rights organizations that have been really leading on this fight, they're completely fed up. Um, and you know our asks in that massive um, coalition letter that more than 400 of our organizations signed on to that went to the hill that weekend when the protests first started the letter was led by the leadership conference in it you know one of our asks was for the 1033 program to be completely shut down and um, you know we're, we're doing our best to to get that language uh, during markup right now that's that's happening uh, today in in house judiciary to strengthen in the 1033 language in the um, policing reform package. Mm-hmm. We are, uh, as you know, um, Representative uh, Nydia Velazquez of New York has just introduced legislation that would completely shut down the program. And our organization, in addition to uh, a couple dozen other advocacy groups have endorsed the bill. Uh, we've been doing what we can to generate more support for the legislation mm-hmm. um, and yeah and you know different ways that uh your listeners for instance it could help out with that is to encourage their you know house member to co-sponsor representative velasquez's 1033 repeal bill and you know the more we can get um specifically dems on this bill to show mm-hmm. that this is what our party is calling for i think mm-hmm. is incredibly Important, and I think we need to do everything we possibly can to to continue to push to to end this program once and for all.
1: That's great news. Yeah, so it sounds like you know um, there are a couple of different um, avenues um, in Congress right now to, if not, um, curtail the program completely, eliminate it, and of course, at Code Pink, right, we need to. We agree that we need to eliminate this program entirely. in, in Representative Velazquez's um, Dear Colleague letter to Congress, she cited one study which indicates that the possession of 1033 hardware increases the likelihood of violence in communities. She also cited other research which says that areas receiving military equipment are more likely to see officers resort to violence, um, and she even said even be more likely to kill pets right? Um, So these are some of the things maybe that people can emphasize when they're reaching out to um, their local representatives about why they want to end this program. Um, That sounds great. So if people wanted to reach out to their local representatives, um, how can they do that for on-demand progress?
3: Yeah, so um, you can go on our website, demandprogress.org. We do have the 1033 petition running. We're also going to be running action alerts, um, hopefully starting probably at the end of this week or early next week uh, for, for both House and Senate versions. So, uh, and I'm, you know, just to, to give a quick overview of, of what's happening. Um, so, uh, so in the Senate, the uh, there's there, the National Defense Authorization Act is coming to the floor next week. So Senator Schatz, for example, has a 1033 amendment that uh, while it doesn't call to shut down the program, it's it's similar to Representative Hank Johnson's original um, a 1033 bill. And it would really uh, help in terms of uh, you know, making sure that we do what we can to demilitarize uh, local state police, Uh, all the equipment that you're seeing right now uh, in our communities, again, the armored vehicles, uh, even the transfer of of tear gas, um, the weapons of war, all of that would be restricted um, in in terms of transfers to jurisdictions under Senator Schatz's bill as well. So we're hoping and we're, you know, one part of our action alert is gonna be calling on our members to insist that um, we get a vote on that amendment, Uh, essentially, you know, that's, it's up to McConnell, Um, and, you know, we are doing what we can, and and hopefully, if, if we can get a vote, I, I think that that would be incredibly positive. And moving to the House, the House is uh, starting to do markup in, in the subcommittees for NDAA uh, next week. And then the full committee markup is on July 1st. So the vote on the floor will come up shortly thereafter. We're, you know, confident that we can get Representative Johnson's language on the floor. Uh, we're, we're trying to figure out, you know, how to, how to work that out in, in terms of um, the repeal language, or Johnson's right. language, if, right? If Johnson's language comes to the floor, then we're fairly confident it'll it'll pass if it gets a vote. Um, right. Again, it's in the policing reform package, and we expect that hmm. to pass the house. So,
1: that's that's really exciting. So, so you are saying you expect at least um, a curtail of this program to pass the house? Yep, um, great. Yeah, that's awesome, and I'm glad that you brought up Senator Schatz's amendment. Um, to the NDAA, um, Code Pink has supported um, that um, amendment, and people can go to our website at codepink.org/n1033 to um, ask their senators to also uh, support that amendment to the NDAA or the National Defense um, Authorization Act. Um, so that's really great um, to hear. And you know, something that I did also want to talk about—it's um, really important—and it sounds from what you just said, sounds like in the last three weeks, right? Um, Movement on this issue has been really quick in a way that we haven't seen for a long time, right? The 1033 program has been around since the 1990s. Um, So obviously, um, you know, one of the reasons for that is because of the massive uprisings in the streets in response to the documented cases of police brutality um, against people of color that we've seen, So I guess I'm wondering, you know, from kind of an organizing perspective, or like a campaign perspective, how have these demonstrations and direct actions really brought the 1033 program to the public's
3: attention? Yeah, so, you know, I think that, and and you've seen it, and and you and your colleagues, uh, I mean, we work very uh, closely on, on various endless war issues. and. You know, I I, I think it was... um uh, the Quincy Institute that immediately did did a video after the protest started, basically making the connection between our our, uh, our between U.S. foreign policy and an endless war approach to uh, to what's happening domestically right now. That endless war has has literally come to U.S. soil uh, when you're seeing you know armored vehicles uh, going down your street, and when you're when you're seeing these. Um, you know, law enforcement and military gear. That's not an image that you anticipate uh, finding in, in, in your local community. That's something that you would probably imagine happening, you know, in Afghanistan and in Iraq, right, and, and endless uh, military engagements that the U.S. has, has uh, participated in. So I, I think that, connection is, is valid. That connection is incredibly important. And, you know, rightfully so. Uh, our community members are fed up. Um, and most particularly, as, as you mentioned, that this program has been terrorizing our communities, communities of color in particular. And anytime that we're seeing, you know, uh, police violence instigated against uh, you know black men and black women, and when you see protesters and, and demonstrators uh, fighting back and 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 really demanding justice and accountability, this is the response we've been getting from from the federal government. It's it's unacceptable and you know as again and and you and your colleagues have been working on this for for a long time but we're we're simply fed up and that's why many of our organizations are are asked on this was this program needs to be shut down immediately no you know we're done with trying to make reforms there's been absolutely zero change uh in this program since uh the ferguson protests since michael brown was was gunned down in 2014 which is when Many of our organizations started really lobbying Congress. So, you know, we had the executive order that um, Obama issued, which, as you know, Trump rolled back shortly after he came into office. So, so nothing has changed, and I think it's fair that there are advocates that are connecting the issues of calling to defund the police and, and you know, connecting this with the militarization uh, of, of, of police forces in our communities, and I, I think that's, that's justifiable.
1: Yeah, thank you for that. I'm glad you brought that up. Right, this connection between demilitarizing our police forces and defunding our police forces. Um, I think a lot of people, um, like you said earlier, were really struck by the image of seeing images of seeing, um, you know, heavily armed police that looked more like members of the military walking around, say, downtown Los Angeles where I live. Um, and I think something that you brought up was, you know, this is something that people expect to see um, in another place, not in the United States, right? A place where the United States is currently occupying, a place where the United States has sent military forces. Um, And I think it's really important for people to um, recognize that image, recognize how disturbing and uh, really frightening seeing those people um, is. And at Code Pink, right, we also want to make the connection between that image, that feeling of seeing military style weapons in our backyard, um, to also defunding the Pentagon, right? Because it's not just, it, it, it's not a problem that, um, you know, we see the militarization of, of our police just because it's a, it, these this violence is happening against United States citizens, right? It's also a problem that our military has these kinds of weapons and are using them on people around the world, right? Um, So, I just wanted to mention, you know, we're excited that um, Representative Barbara Lee has introduced a resolution in the House to actually defund the Pentagon by up to $350 billion, which I'm sure a lot of people listening know is historic and very exciting because we could be using that money to invest in our communities, um, not to continue to um, criminalize and police, particularly communities of color. Yeah. Um, in the United States, but also around the world,
3: right? No, absolutely. And our organization was proud to uh, co-sponsor her, res- or endorse her resolution, absolutely.
1: That's, that's fantastic, right? And, and you know, um, I just um, wanted to say really thank you for coming on the program because I think this is a really, uh, a time when a lot of things are moving, um, a lot of um, opposition to the 1033 program, or opposition to the Pentagon budget, um, is happening much quicker than I think a lot of people who have been in this movement for a while um, anticipated, right? Um, so I think it really goes to show that when people show up in the streets, people do direct action, and they really um, make their voices heard, change can happen much quicker than we're than we're used to. Um, so I did want to end um, by just asking you, um, you know, is there any way that people can learn more about the really great work that Demand Progress is doing. Um, anything in particular people should be going to your website to sign on to?
3: Yeah, so um, so this would be a, a great campaign to, to engage with us on, and DemandProgress.org is uh, the website, sign up for, for our updates and, you know, you'll be looped in on various actions uh, related to this and uh, broadly our our work on anti-war issues as well.
1: Great. And so they can just go to demandprogress.org? Yes. Yeah. Fantastic. Fantastic. Thank you so much for your time today, um, Yasmin. I really appreciate it. I really encourage people to go to that website um, and find out more about some of the work that they're doing. Also encourage people to go to codepink.org slash N1033 to um, help reach out to your Congress people to really um, ask them to stop, um, to, to support bills to end this, this program, the 1033 program. Um, so we'll now be taking a short musical break. And when we come back, we'll welcome our next guest, uh, Raksha Muthkumar with the Democratic Socialists of America Tech Working Group. So thank you so much, Jasmine.
3: Thank
4: you. Don't you know we're talking about a revolution it sounds like a whisper. Don't you know we're talking about a revolution it sounds like a whisper. While there' Standing in the welfare lines Crying at the doorsteps of those armies of salvation Wasting time in the unemployment lines Sitting around waiting for a promotion Don't you know? Talking about a revolution sounds Yes, Poor people gonna rise up and get their share We're gonna rise up And take what's there Don't you know
1: was Tracy Chapman's Talking About a Revolution, a really beautiful song that feels very apropos and um, is sung by a radical activist herself. Again, this is Carly, and you're listening to Code Pink Radio on WBAI Radio 99.5 FM in New York City and WPFW 89.3 Washington, D.C. We're now going to be ta- welcoming our second guest, Raksha Muthukam- Kumar, who is on our organization who is on the organizing committee of the New York City Democratic Socialists of America Tech Working Group. Uh, Raksha, welcome to the program.
5: Hey, Carly. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Yeah, thank you for joining us. I'm really excited to talk to you today. Um, So before we get into um, this really interesting conversation, I'm wondering, Raksha, if you could just introduce yourself and also um, the DSA New York City Tech Working Group for people.
5: Yeah, sure. Okay, so I'm Raksha. I use she, her pronouns. Um, My background personally is in queer and feminist organizing, and then I started working in the tech industry. So I became really concerned and passionate about how the tech industry interacts with like human rights and surveillance and just what our future in this intersection is. Um, And I do a lot of that work through the Tech Action Group, which is a working group of the New York chapter of DSA. So we focus on basically tech-related issues. We just set our priorities for this year, and our group is really interested in working on policy platforms with DSA candidates to push progressive tech policy. We're interested in helping workers organize in the tech industry, um, so that's labor organizing or helping workers organize around issues and just supporting those campaigns. And um, we do a lot of outreach and education just kind of bridging the divide between people understanding what progressive tech policy even is and what that can look like in their day-to-day lives. That's awesome.
1: That's that's really exciting um, to hear all of the different kind of avenues that you all are working on um, within the kind of tech industry. Um, and you know one reason I'm really excited to have you all on the program today is because I wanted to get a chance to talk to you um, more about some of the work you all are doing Um, as tech workers and as socialists who um, support defunding the police, right? Um, So there's a really powerful photo circulating of the, uh, I think, some members of the tech working group uh, who were holding a banner that said defund, disarm, and dismantle the police um, at a protest against police brutality in New York City. So I'm wondering if you can walk us through why as tech workers and as socialists, you see defunding the police as an
5: important part of your struggle. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I will start by saying that our organization, both as DSA and as tech workers are not the leaders of this movement. We take our cues from black organizers, black women, black trans folks, and um, our role is more supporting that movement and being in solidarity. And I think it's super important to do that as socialists, just because so much of our liberation work is um, like about collective liberation. And if we're talking about, you can't talk about like housing reform and universal basic income and healthcare and stuff if you're not talking about your comrades being shot and killed in the streets. So I think that's just kind of what movement work is about, standing together, but specifically as tech workers, there is a direct tie-in between our work and the police state that we need to take direct responsibility for. There is so much surveillance technology that comes out of Silicon Valley. There's such a profit pipeline between police and like private firms and um, venture capital and just like just the tech world in general, even when you talk about academia and coming up with new surveillance technology or facial recognition, that's like we're just so tied with it that we can't ignore our responsibility, I would say. Like, it's our job to know what we're building and what it can be used and abused for, and to stand against bad uses of it, frankly. Right, yeah, I think that's really, really important, and I think um, you
1: you kind of mentioned, right, that the tech industry um, is kind of part of that profit pipeline that can profit from technology that is used by the police, by other institutions, such as the military, right, to really um, oppress people, not only in the United States, but also worldwide, right? Um, And, you know, I think we saw during the protest against police brutality, the use of drones um, to surveil uh, protesters, the use of military-style equipment. Um, We talked just earlier to our guest, um, Yasmin, from Demand Progress, who was talking about ending the 1033 program, ending this program which sends excess military weaponry, To local police departments. So, I'm wondering, um, you mentioned facial uh, recognition technology. Are there other tools that are created by tech companies that are sold to police, and which companies are making these?
5: Yeah, absolutely. Um, Sorry, just blanking for a second. No, you're good. Okay, so. One of the examples is that Zoom has talked about, actually, ironically, Zoom is talking about not encrypting their calls, so that way FBI and law enforcement agencies can start using them, and um, Amazon's Ring doorbell stuff, they're talking about selling that, and Nextdoor is being used for surveillance. Honestly, a lot of technology, in my opinion, it's not always how it's originally built, like... I think you can tell your tech workers that they're building something, like they're building a drone so that way you can drop humanitarian aid in a crisis area. And people will believe that and build this technology without thinking of the harm that it can cause. So it's not so much what is actually just being developed for the sole purpose of causing harm, but thinking critically and reading between the lines about what could be causing harm and what can be misused and abused. So when you talk about like, the surveillance databases and like all the location tracking that we get from all of our phones and all of our, even the COVID contact tracing apps and things like that. The big question is how can it be abused? Not what was the original intent always? Though of course, there are people in the big tech corporations, the VPs and directors and people who take on contracts who do know the way that they wanna misuse this technology. And we do need to take a stand against that. But I think as workers, it's just important to think critically about what we're building.
1: Yeah, I think that's a really important point, right? One, um, maybe the initial intent of the technology isn't necessarily malicious, but it can be used um, for those ends. But also I think something you pointed out is actually a lot of contracts that these tech companies are, are receiving come from the federal government and they come from specifically the Department of Defense, right? So the Department of Defense, I mean, the Pentagon budget is $740 billion a year um, over half of that goes to private defense contractors. And a lot of that money is going to developing these, this technology that the Pentagon uses as we've seen against protesters in our own c- cities but also around the world, right? Um, so I think that's a really important point. Um, so something else I wanted to bring up was, you know, a large part of the our Divest from the War Machine Campaign at Code Pink, which really advocates that our institutions divest from weapons manufacturers emphasizes the need for activists to take away the social license of these weapons companies, which create bombs, drones, and planes, um, but kind of market themselves as kind of um, forward-facing, almost intersectional companies, right? Like they actually have taken on that language in a lot of their marketing. Um, they're really savvy at branding themselves as tech companies that present opportunities for women and people of color in STEM. So I'm wondering, how, how do you think we can maybe speak back to that narrative? Because I think it's really prevalent.
5: Yeah. Um, so one of the other groups I'm connected with is Tech Workers Coalition. And something that was circulating on Twitter was a spreadsheet someone made of all the statements made by top tech companies on racial justice and Black Lives Matter during these George Floyd and BLM protests. And it's like, it's 250 companies long. It's got the time of messages, the statements, and they're all, they're all so similar in this like empty speak of, we support Black employees, we support people's right to protest, we understand what's happening. And we like, we feel vaguely sorrowful that this stuff is happening but then so much of that especially statements that were released on twitter and facebook and stuff so many of the comments are like but you fired all of your employees who were organizing or you fired all of your employees that talked about ice contracts you have not done this or you haven't done that you haven't moved any money in a meaningful way to do this or you continue to take on contracts with this i think it's really important to point out the hypocrisy of these things let Like instead of letting the companies profit off of their PR of saying that they're so good, just asking what that means. Where are you putting your money where your mouth is? Basically asking your CEOs and asking just your companies and the visionaries in it, if they're actually doing what they say that they're doing. And I think this is a really crucial time because tech companies live in this like neoliberal bubble of knowing that it sounds bad to not make a statement about black lives matter, but they're afraid to put their money where their mouth is but I think that's like a critical impact point for us as organizers to point out that hypocrisy. So I don't know, I think, I think this is like a great moment for us to be putting that pressure on.
1: Right, I think that's such a great point, right? Um, they, they do feel forced to make these statements, so how can we push them to, to take some actual meaningful action on these statements, right? Um, but yeah, a lot of these companies that I mentioned, like Raytheon, Northrop Grumman, top weapons manufacturers in the world, Um, I saw a tweet that I think Raytheon put out um, honoring Pride Month uh, and it got so much pushback from people, um, they had to take it down, right, because it's it's just such an empty uh, gesture and people were really angry about it. So that is an exciting kind of turn in in the um, kind of activist space I think right now is people are really recognizing these companies for what they are. And so, I guess I think that um, another thing I wanted to ask you you said a lot of these companies are firing organizers who are organizing on the job, firing people who have spoken out. Um, Could you give us a little bit more background about what some of these tech workers have been doing to organize to push their companies to um, kind of be more attentive
5: to these demands? Yeah, I've seen a lot of really inspiring stuff come out recently. So, Amazon workers in bay area came out with this really great statement that they posted on their twitter it's titled bay area amazonians hold juneteenth vigil and call amazon to back up their rhetoric with action which i think is just so direct and amazing the amazonians in new york did similarly they held a vigil they're talking about how the company is hypocritical for not backing up their statements or taking on certain contracts there's 250 Microsoft employees calling on their CEO to cancel police contracts and support defunding Seattle PD. Basically, there's a lot of employees coming out right now, organizing with each other and telling upper management what they will and what they won't stand for. And I think it's working like these companies now realize that it's not just external buyers who now have opinions on the companies, but also their internal hiring pool and their own retention. And I think we underestimate the power of that, like, especially as workers, we live because of our just capitalist society. We live in this fear of being unemployed and we feel like we don't have power to raise our voices. But when we do it collectively, it, it works really well. We change all these companies' ethos and we tell them what it means to be hiring in our space. And we tell other people what it means to be in our spaces and what they're allowed to speak up about. I think there's a lot of ways to be speaking up. And I'm really, really um, impressed with these Microsoft and Amazon employees at the moment.
1: Yeah, that's great to hear. Um, I think that, you know, this idea that we can put pressure on these companies who are, um, you know, their business model is really um, antithetical to a lot of the work that we're doing. We can put pressure on them from multiple different avenues, right? Um, Public pressure, but also from workers on the inside. That's really important and something that I think um, activists in the peace community can really learn from, right? Um, So I'm really excited about this work that you all are doing. Um, So, you know, you all came out with a statement, the tech working group for the New York City Democratic Socialists of America came out with a statement really connecting um, the work that you all are doing as tech workers to, um, you know, ending police brutality. So I'm wondering, um, are there any, you know, next steps and ways people can support this campaign that you all are working on you wanted to share with us?
5: Yeah, so I really encourage tech workers to basically read our statement and see how the movement that is happening across our country and across the world right now connects to them and their lives and how it's relevant to us. Like when we talk about defunding the NYPD, that means reducing money for the contracts on facial recognition that employ so many of us. Like, what does that mean for our industry? What does that mean for our, the future of our jobs? What does that mean for what we should be focusing our research on or how we should be improving things? Um, our statement really is trying to connect the um, like higher level movements, defund police and um, Black Lives Matter with what that means as tech workers. Um, our main call is for continued public pressure and tech worker pressure against these tech companies doing things that support the police state. But then we're also really supporting the cut to NYPD budgets for surveillance and their gang databases and their cell site simulators and body cams, because we don't believe that spending more money on technology and policing is the answer. And it is offered as an answer a lot of the time. People are like, oh, if we just get them all body cams, if we get them a database, if we do this, if we do that, tech can solve the problem. But we're really encouraging tech workers and people in general to understand that tech is not a solution without further critical thinking. And that's why we're calling for defunding the NYPD.
1: That's really great to hear. Yeah, I think um, that also comes up in a lot of our work, too, on the Divest from the War Machine campaign, right? Um, This kind of, mystification of what the Pentagon actually does, right? I think for a long time, um, kind of like what you were saying, people say like, oh, spending more money on this technology will make us safer, right? But I think a lot of people um, and the you know results that we've seen from COVID-19 and the fact that we have a completely underfunded healthcare system has shown us that actually not funding healthcare um, and instead funding these, these weapons and military our military budget has actually made us less safe. Um, and I think that narrative is really changing, so I'm glad you brought that up. Um, so thank you, uh, Raksha, for, for joining us today. Is there anything else you wanted to add? Um, any other ways that people can uh, get involved or can stay in contact with you all in, in New York City?
5: Yeah, I really encourage tech workers in both New York and the Bay Area to get involved with either Tech Workers Coalition or Tech Action in New York. and continue to get plugged in with how you can as a worker and as somebody who knows about technology, continue to push progressive policy and movements.
1: Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time today. Really great conversation. And hopefully we will uh, talk soon and hear more from all the work that you all are doing. Thanks so much. Thank you. Again, this is Carly and you're listening to Code Pink Radio on WBAI Radio 99.5 99.5 FM in New York City and WPFW 89.3 Washington, DC. I also wanted to thank everyone for joining Code Pink Radio today for a great conversation with Yasmin Tayyib, Senior Policy Counsel at Demand Progress, and Raksha Muthukumar from the DSA New York City Tech Working Group. We talked about a lot of different ways people can get engaged with Code Pink this week. But I wanted to highlight some important ways you can continue to take action. My conversation with Yasmin really highlighted the need to end the 1033 program, which sends "quote unquote" surplus military weapons to police departments around the country. If you're as outraged as I am that we send seven billion dollars worth of worth military weapons to police departments since 1990, you can go to www.codepink.org. Slash n1033 to sign our petition to ask your senators to support the end of the 1033 program now. Again, that's www.codepink.org/slash n1033. The 1033 program raises a bigger question, though. Why does the Pentagon have so much money that they can send again seven billion dollars worth of quote unquote leftover weapons? to local police departments around the country. Demilitarizing the police is an important first step and the protests around the country that have led us to this point where we can actually talk about this are really important. But we also have to get serious about slashing the Pentagon budget so we can pay for vital social programs like universal health care, education, and a Green New Deal, right? It's always when we talk about paying for these kinds of social programs, that the question of how will we pay for it, where will we get the money come up, right? Um, But did you know that even if we just decided to not increase the Pentagon budget by the 5% that's requested every year, we could make every college or university in the United States tuition free? Or if we decided not to raise the Pentagon budget by the 5% requested every year, and save that money over the next 10 years, we could wipe out student debt completely. So when people ask those questions about how will we pay for it, where will we get the money, our answer now is we need to cut the Pentagon budget, which is why we need to support historic legislation that Barbara Lee, Pramila Jayapal, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ilhan Omar, and Ayanna Presley introduced in the House last week which again would cut the Pentagon budget by $350 billion. That's a little bit less than half of the annual Pentagon budget. Can you imagine what we could do if we saved $350 billion every year? If you agree that we need to slash the Pentagon budget and invest in programs like universal healthcare, you can contact your representative and ask them to support the bill by going to www.codepink.org slash defund the Pentagon. Again, that's www.codepink.org slash defund the Pentagon. Once you sign the petition, you'll also have the opportunity to reach out directly to your congressional representative using the Capitol switchboard. It's so important that your representative gets a chance to hear from their constituents on this because this is such a historic opportunity to cut the Pentagon budget and invest in our communities. Telling them why you support this goes a long way in making sure that this bill can be passed. Finally, in important and developing news, on May 19th, the Biden campaign released a statement of support for Israel in which he promised to continue attacking the nonviolent boycott, divestment and sanctions movement, and bragged about having increased military assistance to Israel at the end of Barack Obama's term as president. So Code Pink, along with over 100 progressive, anti-war, and faith-based US organizations, sent a letter to the Biden and Trump campaigns for a fair and just foreign policy regarding Israel and Palestinian rights. We want to send a strong message to the Biden and Trump campaigns that the American people don't want to send more and more military aid to Israel every year. You can go to codepink.org slash Dear Joe Biden to sign the letter demanding that the Biden and Trump campaigns adopt a principled foreign policy for Israel and Palestinian rights and to send a clear message again that we can't afford to send more and more military aid to Israel every year. So you can go to codepink.org slash joe biden to sign that letter. Other than that, that about wraps up our program for today. Remember you can always go to codepink.org slash divest to learn more about how you can get involved in our Divest from the War Machine campaign by urging your city, your school, your representatives to divest from war. You can also email us at divest at codepink.org to get in touch about resources and support and ways we can help you develop a campaign in your local community. Again, this is Carly with Code Pink Radio on WBAI Radio 99.5 FM in New York City and WPFW 89.3 Washington, D.C. Until next time, peace.
0: Bush and Bin Laden, you think they're foes, they're in business together. Danny Bush knows the Carlisle Group since years before, been raking in billions and itching for more. It's It's blood for oil, we know there's a link. We say cold war, we say cold pink. It's blood for oil, we know there's a link. They say cold war, we say cold pink. Cold pink, it's freedom. We trained him to be our man when our enemy was not Iraq but Iran. They feed you lies, don't want you to think. They sick terror. We sick hotel. They feed you lies, don't want you to think. They sick hotel.